Welcome to the Do One Better podcast, where every week I focus on philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi, and I hope you'll enjoy the podcast. Keep on listening if you want to improve the world. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London, and as a regular listener's know, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire global listeners to be more philanthropic, to act sustainably, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. And before we get things started, if you could subscribe to the podcast, that would be highly appreciated. It makes a world of difference and it helps listeners from around the world find this podcast as they're looking for interesting content around philanthropy and sustainability. Today, I'd love to introduce someone who I've known for a couple of years, Martin Guntrip, who is the club director of the All England Lawn Tennis Club. And for most listeners, that is code for Wimbledon. He runs Wimbledon, the, uh, the championships, the tennis tournament. Arguably the, the most important, uh, certainly my favorite Grand Slam of the tennis tournaments. Like I said, we've known each other for a couple of years. And when I used to be chief executive officer of the Novak Djokovic Foundation, we had quite a bit of stuff in common. But funny enough, we did not meet through that channel. We met through personal circumstances. And we had a good rapport, and I thought as the championships are coming to us within just a few days, it'd be great to have Martin on board and share his thoughts a little bit about tennis and, and, and his story, but also about the Wimbledon Foundation that is doing so much interesting work in philanthropy at the local level, nationally, and internationally as well. So, Martin, a, a, big, uh, a big welcome to you, and thanks. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on your po podcast. Uh, it's wonderful to have you. I'm wondering if you're already quite uh, with a hectic schedule ahead of the championships in just a few days' time. Yeah, uh, things are certainly hot hotting up here. We've got quite a few of the players. Uh, the French Open's over, so we've got Venus uh, has arrived, along with Sam Stozer. Obviously, Andy Murray's here all the time. So um, there's quite a few people um, here now, and we are gearing up. But uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, if that's okay, just yeah, to get started. Yeah, please. So, I've been lucky to be involved in tennis pretty much a lot of my life. I played professionally for a few years. I was what you would know as a journeyman. Um, so I didn't make enough money playing tennis. Uh, in fact, I didn't make any. But I managed to play this tournament, the championships, from 81 to 84. So four years. And then, um, and then I had a commercial career for nearly 20 years. And then I came back to tennis, taking on this role at the club as uh, what, what now is the club director, which is an amazing, uh, I'm very fortunate to have this position. So basically, I run, I run the club 50 weeks of the year before we're interrupted by this championships. So we have about 500 members, of which, obviously, uh, people like Novak, who have won the tournament. Uh, and the joke is, it's, that's the easy way to become a member. Uh, is to win, is to is to win win the tournament, um, but we're very fortunate. Obviously, we have a lot of um, access to to funds, um, and uh, the championships is a very uh, a very professional business. And uh, we were doing a lot of good things out there in the community and otherwise, and we thought we'd bring it all together under one umbrella, and we formed the Wimbledon Foundation mm -hmm. five years ago, actually, in, uh, in 2013. So whilst our aim is to be the premier tennis tournament in the world and probably uh, one of the most prestigious tennis clubs in the world, it's also obviously uh, about giving back 
to the community nationally and in some cases we're doing things internationally as well. That's a little bit of a, a, an introduction, if that's okay. Tell me a little bit about the tournament itself. I think most people immediately think about all the players wearing white clothing and being very traditional. I imagine that that's going to remain the case for, for the foreseeable future, right? Yeah, we see that definitely as one of our sort of differentiators. It's our brand identity. Um, if you see a shot or you, you switch on uh, a broadcast, you'd know exactly that this is Wimbledon. There's no overt advertising. It's a very clean court. You'll, you'll perhaps see a, 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 you know, a, a Rolex clock there. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see the, the umpires and the ball, uh, the ball boys and girls in Ralph Lauren gear. But it's deliberately very understated. And, and obviously our partners, our sponsors uh, appreciate that and it works well. Um, we are a 13-day event. We're actually the, you know, we run for 13 days, um, and that could be extended. Other slams are doing even 14 or 15 days. Over half a million people visit us during that time. So we have over over 40 uh, 40,000 spectators each day. Uh, so it makes us actually the largest annual sporting event in Europe. So outside of a World Cup and Olympics or Winter Olympics. Uh, which happen obviously once every four years, we're actually the largest annual annual sporting event in Europe. One of the things that I, I respect highly about the club is the whole gender equality piece, right? I mean, women and men's tennis, in your eyes, and the way they're treated and the price money and the airtime and everything is absolutely equal, isn't it? It's absolutely equal. and has to be. Draw size, everything is equal. In fact, um, what is interesting is uh, slightly more than 50% of our spectators through the gate are female. Tennis is one sport that appeals definitely to both both sexes, uh, and we believe, um, like like you know, um, in every Grand Slam's the same now. Uh, we pay equal prize money. And tell me about the foundation. So you mentioned the Wimbledon Foundation was started five years ago, and what 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 drove that? How did that come about? I think we were doing a lot of good things, uh, as I said, out there in the community, but we've always not really shouted about some of our our, our successes. And um, whilst we are a fairly understated organization in some ways, we felt it was time that we actually badged all this up together mm-hmm. and put it under one umbrella and started to tell the story and invite people in onto our real estate, onto our site, um, especially the local community. So right. there's no doubt we are seen a little bit as the sort of blazer and tie brigade. Um, mm-hmm. And in one sense, you know, we still we still wear, wear ties uh, uh, at the club a lot of the time. Uh, not everywhere, I hasten to add. So we just wanted to open the curtain a little bit uh, mm-hmm. as, as to what we do and to give um, and to get some professional uh, some professionals in to help run a foundation, really, and that's exactly what we've done. Right. I imagine it's a it's a work in progress, right? Every year you're probably seeking out, making sure that you're doing the right things, that you're 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 engaging with the right audiences, that you're moving in the right direction. No, absolutely. That's a good question. And for example, we just put a a roof over our second court, our number one court. Mm-hmm. So we have to test it from a make sure it works with 12,000 people in, the humidity's right when the roof's closed. So we did that 10 years ago for center court. But this time we thought, actually, any any um, contributions uh, that are made, so the ticket sales, um, would go to the foundation. So 
Um, we actually partnered also with one of our partners is WaterAid, mm-hmm. um, and we partnered with them. It was on it was on primetime TV, BBC One um, on on Sunday. It was fantastic, and so we raised quite a bit of money, which is actually going to homeless for shelter, and we called it uh, a roof for all, which right. is a special initiative building on on the support for local homeless peoples and 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 charities that support homelessness. So, um, you know, that was extra funds that we weren't anticipating. At the moment, we haven't asked people for funding or tried to raise any funds. The funding has been from the championships and the club and some member contributions. So we haven't. Now, maybe further down the line, we will... We could go externally and ask for funds, but at the moment, it's very much us putting our own funds mm-hmm. to uh, charitable use. Do you collaborate much with any of the individual players? I know a few of them have charities and foundations. Is, is there much engagement in that side? There's a limited amount of engagement. We'll always support the charities. We've supported no- Novax, uh, with, uh, as you know, through Gala. We've supported Roger Federer in Africa, in a, but only in a small way. And Andy Murray, when he did a big, a big event in Glasgow, but probably in a small way. And, uh, but we'll always support tennis-related charities out of something we call our ticket for resale, mm-hmm. uh, which has been going basically since after the, after the Second World War. So it's been going many, many years. Oh, so well before, well before the foundation. Well before the foundation. So, um, so that's quite an interesting process. So people that need to leave early will, will give their tickets in. And other people can buy them you know, very inexpensively for £10 to get a seat on Centre Court or Court One. And that's a marvellous scheme. That raised um, over £400,000 because that's also supported with one of our suppliers, HSBC. And that money is given to various initiatives, including the benevolent funds for the three services, the Army, Navy, Air Force and the Fire Brigade, because uh, they support us. So. Any organization that supports us for the champs, we will also give back to in terms of a, a, a giving from that fund. And that's a sort of national initiative. That's across the UK. It is a national initiative. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. And now, did I read correctly that through your initiative, you have this Wimbledon Junior Tennis Initiative and you're introducing about 14,000 children per year to tennis? That's correct by visiting um, the, the local primary schools in the two boroughs. That's correct. Um, that has now been going for, this is 19th year. Uh, this uh-huh. is something very, very close close to my heart. So basically in the two, um, two boroughs, the two boroughs to us, Wandsworth and Merton, we will go to every primary state school, uh, mm-hmm. providing they want us, and we do this in conjunction with the, uh, uh, with, with the councils, with their learning officers or... And um, we will we will teach a little bit of tennis. And when you're dealing with four-year-olds and five-year-olds, obviously it's not really about tennis. It's about movement, a little bit of hand-eye skills, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and f- we'll go through every class. Uh, so in in a in a day, we'll we'll we'll, we'll probably touch five six hundred children. And then if any of them show you know, a little bit of uh, promise. We'll invite them to come at the weekends um, to training that's held at our community centre at Rains Park. Uh, and from that, some of them receive squad training and then there's some individual training. 
basically uh, we're just trying to introduce sport it happens tennis happens to be the vehicle but sport a little bit more of an active life yeah. to the primary uh, primary school kids in our in our area and that's been hugely successful hugely successful and on the international stage and you mentioned you do stuff with water aid and i guess it's a multi-year partnership it is. It's a, it's a, a three-year. Initially, it was a three-year partnership. We, uh, I'm absolutely sure, we'll extend. We'll extend that. And uh, do they know that, or are they hearing it first year on this podcast? <laughs> they might be hearing it for the first time. <laughs> There's somebody very yeah. happy water aid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 been a marvelous uh, partnership so far, and they've actually. Um, on the uh, on the South Bank, they've got a little um, sort of um, almost a statue of, of tennis balls, uh, bright orange tennis balls donated by Slazenger. So that's quite nice, um, just for the build up for the and the period of the championships. But we've also done work in India with Magic Bus. Yes, tell me a little bit about that. A very good learning organisation, and they can obviously, you know, like a lot of foundations, it's it's important to get the right people to deliver. Um, you can help fund, but they can obviously deliver. They understand the local community. They understand what's effective. And that's about, um, we obviously do it through tennis, but it's about hygiene, uh, again, drinking drinking healthy water, hygiene, exercise, and education, because a lot of mm-hmm. people in, in India, as I think probably all your listeners would know, they drop out of education um, uh, very early. Uh, and it's trying to keep them in education. So I think we've been with Magic Bus now for uh, working with them for five years. And again, we don't see that uh, changing. Uh, that's in conjunction with a, um, a grass court sort of road to Wimbledon event we hold in India, mm-hmm. which probably isn't so much um, on the on the charity side. That's more about promoting tennis and grass court tennis. Uh, in India, uh, we've done the same uh, in China and Hong Kong, and we'll be looking to other Asian and possibly South American markets and looking at that. To try to promote grass courts. Yeah, but Great. alongside that, um, certainly could come uh, some charitable philanthropic work. We we tend to take things in bite-sized chunks, but uh, that, that's been very successful. Over fifty percent of our of our giving and our support is is local, mm-hmm. and then we are we will launch um, uh, next year uh, a national a, a national program, which is more about um, skills, developing young people to create uh, skills uh, and and employment and coaching and perhaps using some of our expertise on performance coaching and mentoring and and that side uh-huh. and we're just um, shortlisting with a national partner that's going to provide that for us we will then i feel have our sort of local area our national area and our international areas i wouldn't say tied up but tied up and it's wonderful working here because there's no there's no you know, every time we sort of say we want to do a bit more, whether that's um, whether that's uh, financial resources or manpower resources or marketing vomp or, or push or collateral, whatever's it, we we just get it. Um, so it's 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 great. The committee here are 100% behind uh, behind this. 
What does that look like then in terms of the foundation itself? You must have brought in certain experts who are guiding no, the, the, the philanthropic absolutely. Um, on the board, there are um, several non-execs. Uh, uh, one is Sir Nicholas Young, who uh, was formerly uh, the CEO of uh, British Red Cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another one is uh, Nick Patel, who is the CEO or chairman of the London Marathon I think he's CEO of the London Marathon and chairman of uh, Sport England. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so they can give us some very good external footprint. And we obviously bring in advisors um, for the right projects to just steer us, whether that be strategy, whether that be governance. We don't have all the answers and we're not getting it 100% right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's great fun on, on this journey. It really is. It sounds like it. And in terms of the uh, the bit that you mentioned a little bit earlier about encouraging grass court tennis elsewhere, in the UK, many people don't appreciate that grass courts are a luxury, that most countries, uh, in Argentina, you'll have clay, in the States, it's made yeah. hard court, you know, grass courts. I was having a conversation just the other day, somebody from Romania, and he's, you know, he was thinking, wow, what's it like playing on grass? It's a great experience. And how has the appetite been? globally for um, for trying to get people to embrace grass courts? Well, again, a good question. It's been remarkably positive since we introduced what you'd what we call the three-week gap. So there used to be a two-week gap between the French Open or Roland Garros and ourselves. And uh, four years ago, uh, we, we stretched that to three weeks to give the players, the main driver for that was to give the players more time to practice and prepare themselves from grass. Mm-hmm. And going to clay to grass is not easy. And I think the players have appreciated it. And from that, there have been some grass court um, tournaments that have, um, uh, with expertise advice, or in some cases more financial support uh, around the world, uh, in, in Stuttgart, in Germany, in other places in Germany are looking at, uh, in Holland, uh, in Mallorca, and potentially other other places, predominantly in Europe, um, are looking to support grass, and they naturally look to you for that expertise. I yeah, mean. and and there are other places that, um, and whether this is in China or or in India, has some grass courts, and there are pockets of grass courts around. But we would definitely want the players of the future to have a bit more exposure on grass as juniors mm-hmm. uh, and then going forward. So in in two years' time, we're going to introduce a small invitation only um, un, 14 and under tournament actually at the championships. Right. So whilst we have a, 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 a traditional junior event uh, for 18 and unders for boys and girls, we will have a, a, a smaller draw, but for... Um, uh, for 14 and unders. Uh, so the last few days of the championships, um, they'll be, they be playing. So that's that's quite nice. If the younger players have more exposure to grass earlier on in their careers, then I imagine that should have a consequence, a positive consequence on the overall level of play um, once they hit their, their peak and, and they're in training. Exactly. That's the, that's the theory. So when they, when they do eventually, one day hopefully... Um, yeah qualifier or in the main draw they're not walking out thinking this is a totally alien surface many people don't know this but the the club itself the all england lawn tennis club is actually a club 
right? You have members who are playing in, in there day in, day out, just like any other tennis or country club anywhere else, right? It's not only about this championship. It's exactly that. Um, obviously, um, 90, over 90% of our members have been extremely good tennis players, um, if not international players, certainly um, top county or state level, uh -huh. say, or colleg collegiate level players, you know, that, that standard. Um, but ranging from all ages um, uh, to, you know, literally to 90, you know, uh, to, to their 20s. We obviously have junior members as well. Um, but yeah, the normal events that you would do at any club, so matches against other clubs, uh, tours, dinners, uh, whether it's gala dinners uh, or small sort of wine tasting events. So the, the whole gambit of what you would get. And obviously we do things to a, a very high standard. And uh, it's an absolute privilege to be a member. For, you know, I've, Luckily, I've been a member for nearly 30 years and, uh, and to work here as well. And I guess it's one of the few clubs where you could be playing a match and there's Andy Murray hitting, hitting a few balls in the court next to you. Well, that's literally the case, yeah. Absolutely. That is literally. Uh, and occasionally it's a bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah. amazing. That is amazing. And do you collaborate much or talk much with the other Grand Slams? Uh, you know, the folks at the US we Open do. in Australia? We or? do. Uh, there's a Grand Slam um, committee. So there is a lot of collaboration. I think it's fair to say we are all individual. We all have our own um, uh, our own identity. And uh, having that said, you know, for the good of the game, there has to be some uniformity. And obviously, there was, there was a big push, and, uh, and, and Australia were there first with a roof, mm -hmm. uh, and, then, and then we came, and then the US, and then um, uh, France is going to have one, um, Roland Garros is going to have one next year. So, you know, the facilities are just going up and up and up. I'm sure a lot of the listeners won't realize, but we've just acquired some land. We were actually the landlords of a golf club just across the road. Mm -hmm. So we're a 42-acre site. That, that will, that's an 82-acre uh, an site. So we've acquired that land, and over the next sort of five or six years, we'll be developing that. It's a, it's a very um, restricted. We can't go building you know, massive hotels or anything. But we'll move our, we'll, we'll be building grass courts there to move our qualifying there. And a big part of that will be the community and what we do with the courts, community access. Uh, it's, it's, it's adjacent to a, a park. So um, the community aspect will play a huge role in that. You know, what more can we do for the community? Whether that, you know, the playgrounds, tennis courts, um, bowling, goal, what, what, you know, we're not quite sure yet. Right. And when, when should we be seeing some sort of development? When, when, when do you I would, I, w I would say you'll be seeing planning applications in two or three years. Okay. And you, you might see some, some movement in three or four years, but not, 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 not earlier than that. Uh, there's a lot of thinking needs to be done. And a, a lot of stakeholders are involved in this. And obviously, we, we, we have to get this right. Um, and your stakeholders have a very loud voice. They're 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 they people to be reckoned with. So they certainly do. They certainly do. Have you seen tennis change much over the last twenty years? I mean, you mentioned the roofs going over the the, the main uh, Grand Slams and so forth. But um... 
te- tennis itself, I mean, it's it, it's interesting because uh, I'd say two things. A, the entourages uh, continue to get larger. So it, it used to be just the player. Then it was the player and maybe a coach or a shared coach. And then it's the coach and it's the fitness trainer and it's and it's the physio and possibly it's the it's the it's the psychology coach. Um, so now a player doesn't arrive with one person; they arrive with three or four or, or possibly more. And then, you know, if if the extended family are coming, it's it's quite an entourage. So that that was his one, and you've got to cater for that. And, and not not you know in terms of facilities, in terms of your 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 food and beverage offer and space, um, and tickets, uh, the whole thing. Um, secondly, it, it's also the long longevity of some of the players, how long they're playing. Uh, so you 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 look at uh, some of the doubles players are even playing into their forties quite comfortably. Certainly their late thirties. And now, obviously, you've got uh, Roger Federer playing longer. Um, Venus, um, you know, uh, she, here she is, here today practicing. And uh, you look at the, uh, the 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 role of honor, and and she won this in uh, last time she won. Oh, she first time she won, I think, was 19 years ago, something like that. So pretty pretty impressed. So they're still playing. You know they're playing for for almost twenty years, not just ten years at the top. They're yeah. they're extending, so that's very interesting, I think. Uh, and um, and I guess good. things with the, the the diets are very particular, and ice baths and all sorts of things. All that we have ice baths. I'll let you have one if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I will pass. I will pass. But I'm encouraged. I'm heartened to see that there's doubles at forty. Um, you know, for the for those of us still within marginally within the forty, do you travel yeah. to all the other Grand Slams? Um, yes, not not all of them every year. I, I did go to Roland Garros this year. Um, I was at the U.S. Open uh, last year. Um, I'll get down to Australia again. But uh, yes, so the answer is yes. But uh, you always learn something, and uh, uh, and. Uh, as I said, everyone has their own identity, and they're all doing some very good things. You're all exchanging notes, I imagine. Then they're very, your counterparts at the other um, at the other Grand Slams uh, on what it, works, what doesn't work, and absolutely. Uh, and there's a big push um, with all of us on the uh, sustainability agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very important. We obviously, you know, we play on grass. We see ourselves as as a fairly um, sustainable organization, but there's a lot more you can do. Um, like what? And, what, what are, what's the, some of the... What well, are some last of the year things? the big thing was, was, was taking out plastic straws, but this year, um, again, one of our partners, Evian, have um, produced mm-hmm. a totally um, um, uh, recycled bottle. Right. Um, so all the water, whether it's, salt, whether it's the player's water or, or the public water, will all be um, 100% plastic recyclable so that's good news then you've got to focus on the tennis balls i guess yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely it's wonderful that not only are you focusing on the tennis but that there's so much going on on the philanthropy side as well um, with these um, with these initiatives let me ask you um if our listeners remembered nothing at all about the conversation that we've just had but uh, they remembered one key salient point or if there's one key takeaway that you want them to um, to think about after this podcast, what would that be? Now, that's a good question. It's so interesting when you start doing this work, how you realize 
a how fortunate we are ourselves <laughs> yeah um so it just hits you and but b how amazingly delighted and thankful and appreciative people are when you give them time and and some of your resources and whatever you know whatever that special magic is you know for wimbledon it's 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 obviously grass court tennis or this the, the iconic venue but every listener i'm sure has something iconic and you probably half the time you don't realize how special that is for other people because we just take it for granted so i would say if you can just you know literally shut your eyes and think well what is so special about what your organization or you individually do that you could give to other people. Yeah. So that's what I would say. And if somebody, if somebody wanted to get center court tickets, what's your email address? <laughs> that's a good one. I, I, I am one of the most popular people on the planet about this time of year. They, they come in literally from all over the globe. Oh yeah. Remember me? Yeah. Out of office reply. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, if somebody were listening to this podcast and irrespective of where they might be, but they thought, hmm, I'd like to explore collaborating with the, uh, with the Wimbledon Foundation in some, in some capacity, do you have a website uh, or a Twitter account? Yes, or we do. What, yeah, what yeah. do you recommend? They, um... Um, I, if, they, if they just go onto our main website, okay. uh, wimbledon.org, and we've got a whole section on the foundation there and, and contacts, so absolutely. Great. Find out a bit more. There's a few, you know, vignettes, some some clips and things. Yeah. Absolutely. And even though you don't actively fundraise from the external world, you're not averse to the concept, right? If somebody's interested in getting engaged and supporting you financially, that's also something that you would yes. not turn away. We would obviously enter dialogue. Look, Martin, thank you very much really for taking the time. I know we're just right around the corner from, from Wimbledon and the championships, and, uh, and you're extremely busy. So I appreciate you making the time, especially now, so that, um, that it coincides very nicely with, with the tournament. And I would, um, I would encourage our listeners to visit our website at Ligi.org, that's L-I-D-J-I.org, to get a hold of episode notes and also specific links that I'll put down there to Wimbledon's uh, main website and to some of the philanthropic activity that the tournament is doing. And, uh, and to our listeners also, if, you, um, if you're so inclined, please do subscribe to this podcast. It makes a very big difference for us. As you know, the podcast is about inspiring our global listeners to be more philanthropic and act sustainably and embrace social entrepreneurship. And we very much value our loyal listener base that's getting bigger and bigger every day. Martin, thank you so very much. I really appreciate it once again, and um, good luck for the tournament. I hope it's a resounding success, as I'm sure it will be, and, uh, and I very much look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Alberto. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.